Welcome to Your Cyber Path, the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job by sharing the secrets of experienced hiring managers and top cybersecurity professionals with you. Now, on to the show. Hi, welcome to Your Cyber Path. I'm Kip Boyle, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Dion. Hey, Jason. Hey, Kip. How's it going this week? It's going really good. Did I tell you that a couple of months ago I sold my car? Did I tell you no. that story? So, uh, so I've got this car. I actually bought it um, with uh, with with uh, as a company asset, okay. And because I was just driving around all over the place, wearing my personal car out, and so I was like, okay, I need a company car. Put the miles on that. So I had it had it for like five years, and so I was like, okay, uh, what am I going to do with this car now? And the price of used cars has gone up quite a bit. So oh, yeah. I figured out that I could sell my my five year old car for pretty much what I paid for it, right? And so and so I was like, well, this makes total sense. This is good for my company and so forth. So I I listed it, and and then immediately I started feeling this apprehension, and I was like, what in the world's going on with me? And 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 I realized after like reflection, I was like, this is the first time if I sell this car, this will be the first time since I started driving as a fifteen and a half year old that I won't have my own car because I wasn't planning on replacing it because I don't drive anymore. You know, the pandemic and everything, like I just don't drive anymore. So my use case just isn't there. And uh, and so I sold the car about two months ago and I just had this, again, this apprehension. I was like, oh, I hope I don't end up regretting this. I don't regret it at all. I haven't thought about that car a bit. So I was like, wow, really? I can't believe I was able to give that up so easily after 40 years of oil addiction. <laughs> I was no, able to funny, myself I, off. I actually did this a similar thing uh, about three, four months ago when the used car prices were so high. Um, I have I have a, a Tesla Model Three, or I had a model a Tesla Model Three that I was mm. driving. I bought it back in 2018. I paid like fifty thousand dollars for it, um, and I started seeing the car prices raising and raising and raising. And so I actually shipped my car from Puerto Rico back to Florida, went to a dealer, and gave it to them and they gave me a check and I got almost the same $50,000 for that car after driving it and putting on 40,000 miles over, uh, you know, four years. And I ended up not replacing it as well because like you, I'm a business owner. I work from home most of the time. And so for me, I don't have to go very far. And my wife and I, we both work at the same company and we have an office, but we go there together. So there you go. we are now a one car family because we usually drive together everywhere. And so we just didn't bother replacing it. But it's just that weird thing, this, this whole supply and demand that happened because of the pandemic. And right. The shortage um and then the the desire of fuel prices being so expensive the electric car values went up all that kind of stuff kind of went into this perfect storm where i was able to drive a car for four years and get all of my money back out of it uh, which was, <laughs> that which was, never happens I, yeah it never happened crazy uh, i know people who had minivans that they were able to sell for ten thousand dollars over what they bought two years ago because the mm -hmm. prices just went up and and i see a lot of that in the cybersecurity world as well because we have this you know, for qualified people that, you know, have experience and have the certifications and all that stuff, they're so valuable because nobody wants to take, you know, an unproven asset that the prices have been going up on labor as well because of the mm -hmm. supply and demand shortage. And, and I think we're going to talk a little bit, uh, you know, uh, about this whole cybersecurity industry today like we normally do. And today we actually have a special guest. So Kip, who do we have today? Right. Yeah. So this episode uh, of Your Cyber Path, we have a guest. Her name is Daydre Diamond. And I want to tell you a few things about Daydre. First of all, she's super generous. And this is not the first time that I've spoken with her. When I asked her, hey, do you want to be a guest on our podcast? She uh, you know, gave this really enthusiastic, yes, please. And so I was really excited. So she's here. Now, let me tell you about her. So 
She's actually been working as a cybersecurity recruiter for uh, quite some time. I'll let her tell you a little bit more about that. She's the founder and CEO of CyberSN. She's the founder of, an, of, a, of a nonprofit called uh, Secure Diversity. She's the co-founder of Day of Security, which, which we've sponsored before, actually. And she's the, a board member for the International Consortium of Minority Cybersecurity Professionals. So she is a, a, just this tremendous leader in our space. What we want today to do is ask Deidre to give us some deep insights from this position that she has in the industry to kind of help our audience. So yeah, so Deidre, welcome to the show. Yes, thanks for having me. Thanks for everything you two are doing, your social servants. This is so important. It's good to be here. Yeah, that's, oh, this is great. So, you know, during, before we hit the record button today, we were chatting about all kinds of things and we were actually starting to do the show. So I was like, hold on, we better hit the record button <laughs> so we can actually record this. Uh, and one of the things we were talking about is how the cybersecurity career field has so many options. Most people don't even know what all the options are. They just show up and go, I want to be a pen tester because why? Well, that's what we see in Hollywood and that's what's, you know, consuming all the news headlines, but there's so much more. It's so, but it's so obscure and non-standard. So uh, Deidre, how many types of cybersecurity jobs are there from what you're seeing? Could you give us some, some yeah. numbers or you know, how do you describe that? Yeah, you know, uh, I saw this uh, eight years ago when I founded CyberSN so significantly that I either had to solve the problem or not have the business. Mm -hmm. Maybe cost of sale to make a match to a professional to a job was so significant. And so I set out to create the taxonomy of the common language coming from a background of understanding how to fill jobs. It's all about really understanding the job uh, and certainly the professional. And so, you know, uh, today we've gone through six years ago, Don Glavich and Eric Ligda, who came to CyberSN from uh, government world of cyber to create this taxonomy and also to secure CyberSN because we hold great data. Uh, is, uh, you know, started in the 20s. We're now at 45 functional roles. We update uh, every year uh, across 10 categories. And I would say not only do we have a challenge out in the marketplace still today with this uh, in terms of everybody understanding how many roles there are, it's also, uh, you know, important for everybody to understand within each functional role, depending upon a company's maturity and their security practice, what industry they're in, the size of their company, what locations they're located in around the world, those even those one functional roles of let's say a security engineer could be 20 different profiles. So this is this is, you know, uh the framework and then yet it gets deeper and deeper into the tasks and the projects associated with that, you know, persona if you will. So it's 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 important. And we're loving it. We're we're having fun giving this content. We have a free career center. It's all there. Ah, right. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Is this sounds this uh this sounds amazing, this taxonomy. And and you just answered my next question, which which was how how can people see this? So what's what's your like what's your website address? So if somebody listening wants to check it out right now uh right. and stop listening to us. <laughs> I think I shouldn't do I think I shouldn't even say this. It's too late. I said it. So Daydream, where would they go? They would go to cybersn.com. And if they're new to cyber completely, they they ought to register for new to cyber and yet use the free career center. 
if not new to cyber or transitioning from IT or software, we have a job matching platform for you mm -hmm. and you should make a profile. And we um, uh, have all jobs posted in the last 45 days at cybersn.com in cybersecurity. In fact, yesterday we went over 100,000 for the first wow. time. Would have been in the 90s for almost uh, nine months and now the market has increase that much. And so we will match your profile to those jobs so that you don't have to do all that searching stuff. Uh, that being said, yes, uh, you know, there is um, salary data, roles and responsibility data, as well as um, what is this job? You know, and that's why I love what you two are doing, taking that to the digital world, even at a greater capacity and excited to, to, to really have you two doing what you're doing. It's well, so thanks. Thanks. Does it cost anything for somebody listening in our audience right now to sign up? No, no. And no, neither do my conferences. My day of security conference is a free conference. Uh, everything I do in terms of knowledge is free and it will be always. Well, no wonder why we get along so well. Yes. <laughs> but I didn't give away a car this last year. <laughs> I think I might have acquired another one. So I'm feeling very guilty over here. <laughs> well, I just wish I'd called you first, right? You know, hey, if you're in the market for another car. Everybody. I, I, I got one. Jason's got one. <laughs> Not anymore. Mine's gone. <laughs> yeah, well, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. Uh, Deidre, so for yeah. you guys at CyberSN, um, you also have this recruiting um, capability. So you know, people can search your site; they can find these jobs. Uh, I, I'm assuming you guys help them with the the recruiting and the placement aspect as well. Um, you know, one of the questions I always get from from people who've never used a recruiter before is, "How does a recruiter get paid? Do I have to pay them for this service?" Right. Um, in your business model, is it the company that's paying you or is it the candidate that's paying you? Yes, yes. And my whole career has always been that the organization, the employer pays the fee. Uh, you know, how recruiters are paid on the outside from an agency perspective is part of why we have a broken system out there is mm. that, and what everybody should know is that most agencies are what's called contingency-based workers, which means they work for free and they only make money if the company hires somebody. Mm. And by the way, if that person stays 90 days, so they have to do all the work, you know, so I came up in that world uh, and um, it's uh, as I've gotten a lot older over the last 30 years, I realized that, you know, how awful that is for us all, because mm. it really just, takes the seriousness out of it, takes the focus out of it, and then breeds this weird competition piece. And this is like at where the grossness comes in, yeah? Uh, so uh, yes, free and um, you know, working with recruiters, if you don't have experience is probably, they're not gonna be available for you. It's mm. why we're developing this whole platform for new to cyber and why I have the free career center because so many people need help and yet employers aren't paying, you know, for the service of finding new to cyber, you know? So that's why, you know, recruiters probably don't respond to a lot of folks in new to cyber. And mm. overall, it's the number one challenge is responding to everybody. I mean, even at agency where my people are petrified of not responding of what might happen to them from cyber asset, there, it's still, we have to constantly think, how can we do this? How can we respond to everybody? We're just yesterday I was in a meeting about how we can get 
better messaging to help people understand why we're not able to even respond, you know, all the time. It's and, and the people who need the most help are the ones you're struggling to respond to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I joined up with Kip and, and started doing this podcast with him was I, I teach a lot of cybersecurity certifications and I've got over 500,000 students and they'd say, how do I get a job in cyber? How do I get this job? How do I get that job? I'm like, I, as one person, can't answer 500,000 people. Uh, and that's why we do the podcast because it becomes this one-to-many where Kip and I can put out a lot of good information, give you tips and tricks. Now, it's not customized to you individually, um, but, it, but it does help, you know, people in general uh, or lots of, lots of people at once. Um, and, and that becomes the big, the big challenge. I think that's one of the things you guys at CyberSN are trying to solve is how do you scale that relationship and, and that placement opportunity? <laughs> right. Or eliminate it. I want to eliminate it. It's ridiculous that it even exists, right? And so I think uh, for me, I see it in the taxonomy because the taxonomy is a living, breathing uh, 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 information set. In fact, I'm we're, we're most likely open source it here soon mm -hmm. uh, to say, you know, pay education institutes, here's what the jobs, tasks, and projects are. This is what literally employers need done. Not a title, not a, you know, a wish list of what I think this person uh, should have on their resume. Uh, it's about the tasks and the projects that an employer needs cre uh, completed. Yeah. And we're up to date in real time with that data, which is what my platform does then we can get ahead of ourselves instead of constantly being behind, which is what, what where we're at today. Oh, you're, you're playing into our narrative. I don't know if you realize it, Deji, but you're, <laughs> you're playing right into our narrative because we tell people all the time when they come to us and ask for like, oh, anything. It could be like, how should I write my resume? Which certifications should I get? You know, what kind of, what kind of training do I need? And so forth. And we're like, have you looked at the job descriptions? Well, no. Well, that's the one source of truth, right? You have to go look at the job descriptions and you have to do a little homework because you got to know what industry do you want to work in? What size of company would you like to work for? Um, you know, if you can just like, uh, and, and a job title, if you can just get those three things, you know, nailed down at least temporarily, then you can go do the job uh, posting search and then you can find out what the answers are. So I thank you for, you know, for saying essentially that. Uh, now I want to ask you what what are the what are the top jobs in terms of um, like what's most available and what are what are most people searching for? Is that lined up really well? Is there a mismatch? What are you seeing? Well, yeah, I mean we definitely have a shortage every everywhere. The roles that in the last year uh, have come to be more significant are some obvious, some not so obvious. So cloud security super obvious where that's gone and we're seeing that product security super obvious that's going because of compliance and regulations and um and then you know what was great surprise and just um you know welcomed uh is these two roles which are director level security operations or grc or anything director level which implies that we're finally building teams and that's exactly what happened we saw the title uptick before we saw the actual, hey, we're building a team, we're going to give you five roles instead of one role, two roles every year. You know, at, meanwhile, okay. IT and software is hiring hundreds and thousands. It's wild. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, and so, uh, and then we also saw a huge uptick uh, coming into the year uh, in um, education roles, right? So it, it, these signs say, uh, and I can see signs of recessions too. So we can talk about that. I mean, mm -hmm. talent, 
we see it before anybody sees it. I've been 30 years playing that game. But anyhow, um, you know, that, uh, that, that, that uptick is really inspiring because for the last eight years since I decided to found CyberSN, I have been shocked at how little investment in people is being done in security comparative oh, yeah. to, you know, let, you know, functional roles that, that are, you know, either similarly important or maybe less important, uh, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, for me, it's less. So, uh, you, you know, we, we must, we must uh, solve this. And yet I'm seeing some uptick in investment. Interesting. Interesting. So when we talk about these different type of roles that you have, there's obviously different pay bands, right? So you mentioned um, you know, three three big types of roles I heard you talk about. One was the director, the team leads. Uh, one was kind of the people working on those teams. And then you talked about this newer field of, of the education and training. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at those three type of roles, what are kind of the, the typical pay bands and experience level of the people who are going into those roles? Yeah. So this is the year where we're seeing the base salaries break the twos mm. or both individual contributors and managers. In fact, the uh, salaries aren't that different we're starting to see, which makes sense and is respectable. This isn't, you know, uh, gods, uh, you know, over gods, uh, you know, I, don't, I, I prefer not to see that. And so uh, and, you know, it's roles and responsibilities and who's going to be good at it. Do you want to care for people or do you not want to care for people? Do you want to stay so close to the flame that you don't have time to care for people? Or are you open to taking some of that back? You know, uh, so so uh, over the twos, you know, around the twos, first, you know, experienced engineers and um, and management level, director level around that number two could be a little less, could be a little bit more depending on the bonus structures. You know, there's a total comp piece to all of this that salaries vary because of whether companies have stock options or bonuses or pensions or what have you, or sign on bonuses. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, that's about the average number that you'll see give or take 10, 15,000 up or down. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, and so, you know, before I let Kip jump in here, I just want to say, you know, that's one of the things that I actually love to hear. Um, I will tell you, you know, for 20 years, I love being a technician. Um, but it, in my 20 year career, it was always, hey, if you want to hit the next pay band, you've got to go into management. You've got to go become a director. And, and I've done those jobs. I've been a manager of a team. I've, I've been leads of pen test teams. I've been an IT director. And to get to the higher level, you had to go into those management type roles. And it always seemed kind of, you know, I, I guess strange to me that, you know, we want to take our best technicians and make them managers where they never touch tech, right? Be and the techs do that because they want to increase their salary right. for their family, yeah. things like that. Yeah. And it's it's refreshing to see that companies are starting to realize like, hey, there are two different skill sets. And just because you're a great technician doesn't mean you're going to be a great manager. And I know people who are great managers who are horrible technicians. Um, one of the best managers I ever had was actually a horrible technician, but he led a team of very technical folks because he relied on us as the technicians to do those jobs. Um, and, and you know, in, in that particular organization, he got paid more because he was the manager. And, and yeah. it's kind of silly because you have a hard time retaining that engineering talent because they're leaving to go to become a manager to make more money. So it, it is for me refreshing to hear that. Uh, Kip, I'm sorry, I, I, I cut you off. <laughs> uh, no, not, a, not a problem. I think that, that was a great point. I wasn't even thinking about that. Um, but what I was thinking about was, uh, Deidre, I didn't hear you talk about uh, so-called entry level or new people to, to, to the career and what their pay bands are. Do you have any, do you have any insights on that? Yeah. 
Yeah. So a couple of things there for those new to cyber, where where A, getting in is at and where most of the money is at is any company where you are seen as a revenue generator. Mm. Focus on that. So that's managed service providers, consulting firm, anything that's service-based as the company that you're working for, you're now revenue. As long as if you're in the infosec team, you're not. But if you're in the, you know, the the services, if you will, or the mm -hmm. stock supporting these organizations, then you're going to find um, a lot easier to get in and uh, better pay. That being said, you know, uh, new to cyber is anywhere between fifty and eighty. Depends on where you came from. You know, what kind of what what do you have in your background? And then I would also say that if you're new to cyber, but you come from IT or you come from software, you do not have to take an, a, a salary cut. Uh, you are absolutely qualified for many, many jobs. You have to recognize that you have already had security experience. You just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And then to just need to learn that and then go to these interviews speaking that and you'll be good uh, and most likely get raises. Uh, so yeah, it's a little bit all over the place for, for new to cyber, uh, only because where one came from will make an impact on that dollar. Yeah. Well, no, but that's really great because it's encouraging, right, Jason, because I can come in at 50 to 80, but I know that there's so much opportunity for more. Oh yeah. And, and the other thing there, you know, that she just spoke about was the fact that when you're going into, you know, revenue generating versus cost, yep. and we've talked about this before. In a lot of organizations, let's say you're going to go work for, I don't know, big insurance company, State Farm. You are a cost to them if you're working in cybersecurity. You're not making them money. You're preventing their losses uh, and things like that. But if you go work for a managed service provider, for instance, somebody who runs a, a service operation center that then outsources to, you know, that then takes on work from other places because they're an outsourced provider for small businesses, medium-sized businesses, whatever, you are generating revenue because if your eyes on on glass for you know five companies, that's five companies that are paying your MSP, and that's therefore paying your salary. So right. it is a big difference when you realize that. And so as a new person, you know where should you be looking? You should be looking for those MSPs, those SOC positions, those SOC analyst positions outside of a traditional company yeah. that are doing these services, because that's where you're you're going to be making the money instead of costing them money. So yeah, that's important to think about as well. Yeah, and and it's a little it's a little it's a little difficult to to see this, but I, I want to point out one other possibility too on on this uh, theme. I think some of the very best security executives see this and 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 work really hard to get their internal teams to be seen as sales enablers and when they can do that um it doesn't it doesn't mean that their team is generating revenue but it means their team is shortening the sales cycle it means their team is clearing obstacles for the sales uh staff and and all of a sudden you know your internal equity you know your your political capital just goes through the roof and it's easier at that point to, uh, you know, to to give people more money. Um, you know, the work is more interesting, you know, to do. Um, so if you don't want to work for a consulting company or, or an MSP or something like that, try to find a security executive who thinks this way and get on their team. And then you'll have maybe the best of both worlds. Um, but uh, Deidre, that's, a, that's, yeah. that's, that's really great, really insightful. I would add to that security software companies it might be where you find both, right? Mm -hmm. Because they are selling software and the security team helps them sell the software. Now, there's always sales engineers, security sales engineers. We're usually practitioners that 
realized they can make more money in sales. Right. Uh, or they just enjoyed the sales role, one or the other. Right. Um, um, and so, you know, maybe that's where best of the both worlds are. is. Thank you. Yeah, that's another great idea. I know in the podcast before I've mentioned, I have a friend who works for Splunk and when he works for Splunk, they work in pairs. There's a sales engineer and there's a salesman and they work together or salesperson, excuse me, and they work together. Um, and you know, he started as a salesperson and then he picked up the skills to become the sales engineer, uh, because he also had an interest in cybersecurity and that's kind of how his entrance into cybersecurity happened. But because of that, Splunk is a security solution. They are a security software. And so that's why, you know, you can get into that without you know, you may not have security experience, but that's a good way to enter the field as well. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing that, you know, Deidre just talked about was transferable skills. And I know Kip and I talk about this a lot. Wherever you came from, you've got some skills, no matter what you did. If you worked in marketing, accounting, bookkeeping, uh, sales, whatever, you have skills. Now, you may not have the cyber background, but you have those skills. And so if you compare that, like De uh, Deidre just said, you know, with some cyber language that you can speak to, so maybe you get your security plus, now you have a basic foundation in, in security, and you have this previous transferable skills, you put those together and that may help you get into a job. Um, the other thing we want to talk about, and I think you're a great person to ask this to, Deidre, is career progression. So let's say you start out, you got one of those fifty dollars to $80,000 a year jobs, you're brand new into cybersecurity. Um, you maybe you got a job at a, a, a SOC working as a security analyst, as a junior security analyst. You know, what does that career progression look like to go from that 50 to 80 to that 200 number you were just talking about? Because that 200 sounds great. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is that um, it doesn't have to take that long. You know, that jump from that 50 to 80 to the 200s is probably five years, um, could be three, depending on how eager and aggressive one wants to be, uh, for sure. And, um, you know, in our career center, we just launched some really cool graphics in each job card that's, that says, here's the feeder role to this role. And then here's where you can go from this role to these roles. And so I really encourage people to look at that. And, you know, majority of people start in the analyst role. I mean, that's just very common place and makes sense. It's sort of an operations overall perspective, see whatever all the seniors do type of stuff. But, uh, you know, from there, there's some pretty neat things that have, you know, options that people have, and you have to make that decision. Eventually you, you hit a fork if you want to make that 200 where you've got to choose a specialty, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so we, you can see that graphically in the job cards, which is really nice. It's important because, you know, picking matters, you know, I mean, so many people regret not picking things correctly. And that's why it's just what you all are doing, what we're doing is so important. We can avoid all of that because ultimately, you know, who cares if we get a job and we don't like it? I shouldn't say who cares because we need to put a roof and food in our mouth. But, you know, other than that, it's a miserable thing if we don't like it. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. We spend, you know, we spend 160 hours a month, right? Uh, Every yeah. week we have 168 hours and we spend 40 or 50 hours either driving to work or being at work. And so you don't want to be someplace where you're spending a third of your time in a miserable environment, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's important. And, and, you know, one of the things I think I just heard you say that, that you know, I hear a lot in the online business space as well is we always talk about the saying, the riches are in the niches. And it's true, right? Even in cybersecurity, once you specialize, that's where those big numbers come because you become that person who can do that specialized thing, whereas you're not a generalist anymore. And that's why we pay electricians a lot more than we pay a handyman because a handyman or a handy person does everything generally um and they can do a little of everything but they can't do anything exceptionally well whereas you go to an electrician or a plumber you're paying those specialist rates uh in, in those fields and the same thing happens in cybersecurity. 
or they may not be able to even do it. You know, I wish my handy person could do it. But like Christian, I just moved this week, um, yesterday, today, a uh, couple of days I've been moving. So I wish that's the, and that's exactly right. That's where the money's. I like that a phrase. I've never heard that. <laughs> well, and doctors, right? That's why, that's why you don't have as many general practitioners because doctors have already figured that out and they're all becoming specialists, right? I've read out of medical school. So uh, I'm just keeping my eye on the time and I know we could talk for a lot longer than we than the amount of time that we set aside, but there's a couple more things that I know we wanna get to. Um, so uh, one thing is around your, your advice. Now, uh, Deidre, you've given a lot of advice already. And if we stop this episode right now, I think people would be super, super satisfied. But um, what would, is there anything else that you would say as far as uh, job searching? both for the professional who would like to get a different job uh, and then any advice for, for the hiring manager. Yeah, absolutely. So advice for new to cyber uh, or not new to cyber, unless it's a cyber SN taxonomy job, you have no idea if that job description is truly the job description. Mm. Because unfortunately people are cutting and pasting or using you know, an old job description and just throwing it over the fence or whatever the thing is, you know, it's not the job description. I can tell you that comes to us is not the job description that we end up posting. Ah. And so, uh, and so respond until I have everybody, every job in my taxonomy and you, and people don't have to work it. You got to respond because you don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's my biggest advice. Uh, and for the hiring managers, you have to have a partner like us. And uh, if you don't, you will chase your tail and uh, you will not be able to fill your roles and keep people. Because there's just so much more to it. This whole career support, this whole career conversation, selling your roles with that in mind and supporting the hiring managers to have that conversation. They're not experts in every functional role and how to support everybody they hire. And so I've just watched for the last eight years, like our retention rates from our placements are four times higher than the market. I published that data last year. It's mind blowingly wonderful for me and us. And yet I know why it exists. It's first, everybody's on the same page of what the damn job is. because <laughs> Number two is that, you know, there's this whole career support conversation and, that we, we make the client, the hiring organization do before we even start. Mm. Otherwise, what are we doing? No, nobody's just going to come because we called them. They, we have to sell a great opportunity and career opportunities is the only thing that makes a great opportunity. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so I would say, you know, get yourself the right partner and recognize that you have to sell a story and you have to really fulfill what you're selling. And so that requires effort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, uh, and partnerships with people that are intelligent and know how to support that conversation. So, yeah. So as I listen to you talk, right, what's it when it, what I'm imagining in my head is I'm seeing Daydream building a bridge over this yawning chasm <laughs> where hiring managers don't understand everybody they're trying to hire and the positions they're trying to hire for. And people who are searching for a great job and a great boss don't necessarily know how to find those people. And so, you know, they're all staring into the void and uh, here you are saying, you know, let me give you a way to meet in the middle. Yes, yes. Like the dating apps did, by the way, they transformed. Ooh. Yeah. They transformed like happiness rates and relationships, marriage rates of success. 
When can I swipe left on my next cyber? <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> we against the swipe left. Uh, and yet it's exactly that. And you shouldn't have to waste time, you know, looking at that job description on your phone. You know, like mm -hmm. that's, that, that's true today in our job descriptions that you know in a phone's view and whether you're qualified <laughs> and interested. So, yes, that's great. That, like that. Or like Uber and Lyft, you know. Everybody just has been living with the problem of taxis and mm -hmm. how hard it was to deal with that life, uh, you know, of waving our hand to get a ride, <laughs> uh, you know, in the snow, in the rain, or in a place where they know aren't even existing. Uh, and, uh, you know, here comes Uber and Lyft and, you know, how awesome, right? Uh, but no, nobody in that business was trying to solve that problem. And I could tell you my staffing <laughs> peers are not trying to solve this problem. Interesting. So you're a real innovator in, in your, uh, in your, uh, in the work that you do. And I, I and that's what, that was my sense, uh, you know, when we met and one of the reasons why I said to Jason, you know, we need to get Deidre on the phone, on the, on the, on the podcast here. So, so since we have Deidre, I, I, I'm going to ask a couple, I have, I have three questions that always come up that I would love to have your perspective on because you live and breathe this job market uh, before we move into the, the wider industry. So uh, a couple of quick questions for you. I'll kind of do rapid fire here. <laughs> First one, uh, we talked about, you know, salaries, we talked about positions and trying to break in. Um, have you noticed that there is particular locations that, that are better or worse? Um, I know we've talked before, you know, if you're trying to get a job in Kansas or Oklahoma versus D.C. or San Francisco, obviously it's easier in D.C. or San Francisco. There's a lot more companies there. Um, but is there any other trends you've been seeing from a location perspective? Yeah. In fact, yesterday I was on with the product team and they were, we were like, God, this location thing in the last two years is driving us crazy. Mm. You know, like two years ago, so different than today. Today, it's literally... Look, if you're not doing remote, you're not filling your roles. Or if you do fill your roles, it's going to take you 10 times longer. And um, if you make more than one or few of those roles not remote, you're certainly not going to have a successful practice. So, but now, you know, employers don't want to hear that and they still try to do what they try to do. Yeah. Uh, and yet um, now what's happening is, uh, so it's remote, but you got to come in the office once a week or three times a month, or, you know, whatever it is, some hybrid thing. And, um, and, and also, by the way, remote means now a time zone. So like, I have to do all this product work, right? It's, so now it's a time zone too. So, but you gotta be on the East coast, <laughs> you know? So, so while I don't see any trend of like back to office, what's happening is we're, you know, it's really just who wouldn't want somebody on the same time zone and who wouldn't want to see their teammates once in a while or some sort of hybrid. I think that that's, you know, sort of more of what the, not, not who, but more of the majority wants that. So there isn't a lot of pushback. It's just adds another complexity to what's this, you know, I don't know that until I go talk to somebody, unless you're dealing with CyberSN where we know, like that's just adding more churn because these job postings say remote, but they're truly not remote. Right. And that's what's bothering people. You know, we're posting now East Coast time zone, you know, we're, and we're putting it in the taxonomy actually. So, so that's that. It's, uh, <laughs> that's where we're at today. Fascinating. And seeing a, a price difference. Uh, so I know before, you yeah. know, if I was getting hired at a job in San Francisco, I'd be being paid San Francisco wages. And then with this, this whole work from home thing, I could work from, you know, Kansas yeah. uh, and still make San Francisco wages. I know Kip and I have had this discussion before. Uh, I've seen where that's kind of drop wages some places. He's seen where everybody's kind of going up to the San Francisco wage. 
What are you seeing? Yeah, I would say there's very few trying to not pay the wage that they were making. They try or they think they're going to do that. And again, you can onesie twosie that stuff. There's nothing there for scale. Nobody, everybody, the demand is just too high. The minute you do that, somebody's going to grab that person. You know, they're going to put a, they're going to put an email or, you know, some sort of message to them and they're going to put a salary amount in that message. And that's it. That's it's over. So you might get them, but you're not going to retain them. Right. Yeah. And retention is huge. Uh, it is something that hiring managers don't often think about. They take retention for granted. Oh, yeah. I talk about this in our hiring handbook, the open source project that I've mentioned before, that retention is part of is an important part of the life cycle. And people get retained for reasons that hiring managers don't intuitively understand right off the bat which is ironic because at one point they were individual contributors and they wanted the same things, but they become a manager and it's like they get a lobotomy and they forget what it's like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> uh, the other question I had for you was about career progression, right? So um, I, I know in the old days, you know, when my grandpa was, was you know, roaming the earth, uh, he was, you know, you get a job at a company, you worked there for 40 years and you worked your way up and you went from that entry level to that director position. Um, are you seeing people still doing that in cyber or are you seeing more that when you want to get those, you talked about, you know, three to five years to get to that 200,000, are they having to jump to a different position at a different company to make those larger jumps or are they able to do that in the same position? Because in my experience, I've seen it, uh, you know, as a company, especially as a business owner, if I hired you on for 50,000 a year, I'm going to have a hard time in the next five years justifying that you're now worth 200 when I just paid you 50 two years ago, right? Or three years ago. Um, and so, but if you left the company and they went someplace else, you'd probably get a, a quicker pay raise. W what's your perspective on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that most people are still moving to get it only because companies are now, so before they didn't want to do it because they didn't want to pay it. Now they know they need to pay it, but they have the Equal Pay Act. And the Equal Pay Act says you need to pay everybody the same, no matter what. And so that kind of just, you know, wonderfulness came out of the Equal Pay Act, by the way, but also the disruption piece is this. How do I counter somebody? How do I move quickly if I've got to do everybody? Well, the answer is you don't. So you're either compliant or you're not compliant. So the big companies are not, that's just going to continue to, you're going to have to leave if you're in the big companies. Mm. All our companies, it's possible, you know, I still see the same thing. They're not like you said, who wants to go from 50 or 80 to 200 in five years? Uh, and I'd say some of them are, and most of them are not because you know, we have retention issues overall, even in the C-suite, you know, if you think about it, the, 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 the C-suite's moving every 12 to 18 months. And that means they're interviewing for a year because that's how hard it is for those people yeah. to find. And so who's really committed to the team and, and making all of this happen anyways, go fighting with HR and CFO and everybody else to get them, you know, so there's no, it's, we're so not even capable of doing it. Oh my gosh. The dysfunction is just oozing out of people's speakers right now. As we, the more we talk about this, it's like some slime from a Ghostbusters movie. And then, um, and then my last question, then I'll let Kip go back to the talking points. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the last one that always comes up is, you know, uh, when people are looking for, for, for employees, you know, they're looking for certifications, degrees, and experience. Mm -hmm. um, where are you seeing the, the preference on those three or which one's most important? I know all are important, but yeah, you know, they're, the ones that maybe hold more weight. Yeah, here's what I say to everybody is that uh, if you truly have the experience for the job that somebody wants to hire for, not, they don't care about degree or certifications. Uh, that doesn't mean that somebody that has degrees and certifications won't get called before you, they will. 
They will, because we've been conditioned as society that that's better. And that's how your recruiters think. And that's how people think. Uh, the good news is there's a shortage. So if you're, as long as you're willing to pound the pavement, it won't matter. Uh, and then, you know, uh, this country and this world values education and economically, and that hasn't changed yet. And until that changes, we have to be very careful about saying it doesn't matter. Uh, and so while I wish it didn't, because there's a financial barrier to it, that's yeah. right and um, not humane, uh, uh, it is reality. Yeah, what, I, what I've usually seen is that certifications help you get through the HR filters, so you at least can get into the pile for consideration. Degrees, in my experience, tend to help establish where on that 50 to 80, on that entry level, you're going to be. If you don't have a degree, you tend to be at the lower side. If you do, you tend to be on the higher side because they're compensating you for the time and effort and money it costs you to get that degree. Um, but really, experience trumps everything. Um, but I've even seen people with experience that can't get, that, that have trouble getting a job because they don't have that certification. And the job posting says, must have security plus. And they're just not making it through the filter into any, you know, a sane person go, this guy's got 20 years of experience or this gal has 20 years of experience. I'm going to hire them, but they don't ever make it in front of a hiring manager because they don't have that keyword because they didn't get that one $300 certification or something like that. So that's kind of where I've, I've seen those three. Um, so I appreciate your perspective on that. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I know that the last thing we wanted to talk about was the DEI cybersecurity industry. What is DEI? <laughs> yeah. So I know, right. Diversity, right. Equity, inclusion, uh, they're actually backwards. If we have inclusion, then we can have equity and then we can have mm. diversity. Uh, and so while this uh, conversation has been brought to light from what's deemed minorities, women or genders that are not deemed uh, male and uh, also, you know, race and nationality, uh, it really, the it solution benefits everybody. And we just said that, um, you know, the C-suites moving jobs every 12 to 18 months. Well, that doesn't happen because people are enjoying each other. Uh, and so these inclusive environments don't exist for anybody. As far as I'm concerned, I feel like an alien. You know, I worked for the same two serial entrepreneurial men for 21 years. They hired me out of college. I worked three different companies for them. I'm, of course, founded my own company and we all stick together. I have people that just had their eight-year anniversary, six, seven years, six years, five years. In fact, we went to Mammoth last weekend to celebrate them all in I come from that. That's all I know. It's how to stick together, how to be together, emotional intelligence, a lot of, of empathy and yet hold, and yet super successful, you know, uh, accountability and, and, and delivering companies that are billion dollars in public companies. You can't, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And so because that's not the norm, uh, we've, we need, I, you know, this message to stop being just focused on genders and races and be more focused on you know, how we interact with each other, uh, emotional intelligence skills, because that then can bring diversity in. And we will not succeed if we don't have diversity because it's 40% of the population or uh, in terms of ethnicity. And then it's 50% in terms of gender. And right. what are we doing? We're, you know, so who's left, you know, uh, we'll be very alone if we don't. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's a very politically divisive issue, right? Because people think that it's about quotas and, um, there's a lot of fear, right? There's a lot of fear. There's a, there's a lot of, um, of, of posturing. I mean, this is a really difficult thing. So uh, let, if I may, I just want to share as a hiring manager how I see this is I see it as diversity of thought primarily, right? I want a team of people who don't all think exactly the same way I do. And what I've noticed is, is that a way to get that diversity of thought is to think about people's backgrounds, 
And, you know, what socioeconomic experiences have they had? What cultural experiences have they had? Um, How old are they? Right. So in my company, for example, uh, I'm a Gen Xer. We have a boomer. We have a millennial. We have a Gen Z. And just the other day, we we had the fun of clashing intergenerational values on display, and it was really stressful, right? And so sometimes it does turn into this, you know, difficult thing. So I would say that um, you need a lot of emotional maturity if you're going to work in a diverse, uh, equitable, and inclusive environment, because yeah. because everybody doesn't have the exact same value system. Clash is inevitable. How you handle that clash is going to determine whether or not you know, you can keep this team together. Yeah. You're, you know what? Really well said. In fact, it's it, this is the conversation we need to have more of because people are genuinely going out and being genuine about wanting to hire diversity and then hiring diversity and meeting lots of what you said clashes. And I, I'm learning still today too, it's that difficult, you know, and if somebody of course has a large operation and does the same thing. And so if I even get challenged by it. I can't even, you know, I know what's happening to the yeah. world. So we have to take this seriously and invest in emotional intelligence, communication skills training that is continuous. It isn't this one time course that right. you send everybody off to, you know, right. Uh, the box done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You're right laughs> That's right. Offend anybody else yeah. ever again, or I'm going to put my DEI badge on right <laughs> yeah. here now. I DEI'd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Deidre, this has been fantastic. We're out of time, which is unfortunate, but that means that uh, you're going to have to come back at some point <laughs> and we're going to have to continue this conversation because it's been great. I hope our audience has enjoyed it. Um, and uh, any last words, Jason, before you wrap it up? No, I, I just think that uh, Deidre has done an amazing job of sharing what the industry looks like, what career progression looks like, what is important to employers as well as people trying to break into the industry and people in senior positions. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty knowledgeable about the industry, but I still picked up a couple of, of key things here, uh, such as the directors and the individual contributors both making the same amount at a lot of companies now, um, which I think is is a welcome change. And the the change in DEI and the focus that we're having is is definitely uh, amazing. So I want to thank uh, Deidre for, for coming out here. I want to recommend everybody uh, check out CyberSN. That's Cyber S as in Sam, N as in Nancy.com. Um, also, you can check out the hiring handbook, and we'll have links to all of this in the show notes at yourcyberpath.com uh, slash episode... <laughs> 78. Uh, 78 yeah, is when I got to. Right. <laughs> got it wrong last week. No, uh, <laughs> slash 78. We'll have all the episode notes. And the other thing I wanted to point out is, you know, um, Deidre had mentioned the different positions and we talked about there's 45 different positions in her taxonomy. Uh, Kip and, and former co-host West had back in episode 31, did a whole series for about 10 or 14 episodes uh, that went through all the different positions in a cybersecurity workforce. So if you want to check that out, you can do that at yourcyberpath.com slash 31. Uh, and again, that's just a great way to start learning about these different jobs and seeing which job would fit you and your personality. And and we interviewed people who are in those positions so you can figure out what uh, people like about their jobs, what they don't like about their job, what the average day looks like, what a task looks like. Mm-hmm. You can get an idea as you're moving into this field of where do I want to be? And it's not just about being a pen tester. There's all sorts of different jobs that touch cybersecurity. And by going through those, you'll really be able to learn a lot about this industry. So With that said, I want to thank you for listening to yet another episode of Your Cyber Path, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Your Cyber Path. Don't miss an episode. Press the subscribe button now. 
If you would like to learn more about how to get your dream cybersecurity job, then be sure to visit yourcyberpath.com, where you can access the show notes, search the archive of our top tips and tricks, and discover some fantastic bonus content.